0: Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today's no exception. We have a great guest all the way from Los Angeles, California. Welcome to the show, Jeff Love.
1: Thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here.
0: So Jeff, you've come into this business from a slightly different perspective. You're not only a real estate investor, but you're a practicing real estate attorney you give us a little bit of your backstory and how you got into this particular line of work?
1: Ever since I came back in my college days, I was fascinated by real estate. Always wanted to be in the industry, just didn't know really what I wanted to do with real estate. As time went on, I decided I wanted to go to law school. I wanted to kind of learn both sides of the deal, so to speak. I wanted to see how lawyers work and how they advise clients, but really be on the client side as well. And being a real estate attorney, I'm able to assist and advise clients from acquiring the property all the way to raising capital and syndicating deals. But I understand both the legal side and really the business side, which aids me in investing in properties on my own right.
0: So as a lawyer, you're involved with a lot of clients who put together business structures, they put together partnerships and all of sorts of different arrangements. What are some of the top mistakes you see people make over and over again?
1: One of the biggest mistakes, I think probably the mistake is not planning out the life of your business. So we, we spend so much time putting together, and I always advise clients to do so, really putting together your real estate team when you're buying properties. You, you have your broker in place, you have your accountant, your, maybe your attorney, your, your lender, and from the real estate side, you're getting advice from all of these experts. But the business side of real estate and when you're actually creating a partnership whether you're syndicating a deal, or you're just teaming up with another individual or two, and to be a sponsor in a syndicated deal, or really just you create your development company or real estate investment company, have you thought about the future of that business and, and what it entails? What happens if your partner passes away? What happens if they get divorced? Do you want to be in? Do you really want to be in business with your partner's ex-wife? It's these decisions that I see conflict in the future and really uh, encourage my clients to think about from the outset as as to where they see their business going, both from a growth pattern and an eventual exit plan.
0: That's so important. And it's not just the exit strategy. It's even things like if there's a capital call and you need to all put in some money, are all the partners able to do so at that moment in time? And if not, what happens?
1: You're absolutely right. It's not just the exit plan of the business, but really what are some of the big milestone events within this life of this real estate business? And of course, m- money is the biggest, if not you know, one of the biggest events. And what happens in the future, as you said, if one partner has the money to support this capital call and an- another doesn't, these partners may be in different stages of their lives or different financial events. Maybe your partner just bought a house or a new boat and didn't see where the real estate market was going and now doesn't have the money to support this capital call. Have you thought about this from the outset of your partnership? And what's going to happen if both partners aren't able to honor that capital call? Do your, does your equity in the business get revised? So maybe you're no longer 50 50 partners, but you're 60 40? Does one partner have the ability to make a loan on behalf of the other partner? Does one partner become in default, then you have the right to repurchase their interest? It's really thinking through events like the capital call and maybe ultimate exit strategies at the outset so you can plan for these events, deal with the hard questions, discuss it out in the open before they happen and where the real conflict uh, between the partners can result.
0: I love that. You can also get conflicts even just through the natural course of life, you might have a a younger partner who's in a mindset of planting seeds and growing the business. And you might have an older partner, maybe approaching retirement, who's in a mindset of harvesting. So if the business generates a dollar profit, what percentage of it gets distributed and what percentage of it gets reinvested?
1: That is absolutely true. And I couldn't have said it better. People in different stages of life, maybe the older partner that's nearing retirement, they've they've had their business, they've grown their business. They're thinking more, where am I going to travel for the next few years? I want to buy a boat. I want to go fishing. So they're more of the mindset, maybe not today, but in, in five years, I want to be kind of winding down. I don't really want to be starting a, a, a big new development or start syndicating deals that have a 10 year time frame. I, I wanna watch the, the lifespan of these projects where maybe the younger partner is thinking, I wanna put that full dollar back into the business. I wanna grow it. I want this million dollar company to become a hundred million dollar company. And I'm of that different mindset of growing while well, my older partner is kind of on a, a leveling path and sort of winding down. So it's thinking about the lifespan of the business as well as the other items we've talked about and making sure that both partners or multiple partners we're all on generally the same page as to where the business is headed over what horizon and w- what are our ability to wind down if one partner wants to exit while the other doesn't, what is that going to look like?
0: Well, before you even sit down with the lawyers and figure out what these agreements are going to look like, what kind of guidance would you give potential partners on how to even have the conversation, how to structure their thinking and get this all on paper that ultimately the lawyers can paper up.
1: You know, it, it's it's a never an easy conversation starting into uh, a new really business arrangements and you know I often refer to them as business marriages because you're spending so much time with this partner and you're entering into a relationship with them and we're talking about exits in the future which could be, you know, business divorce, it's really thinking, making sure you're both on the same page. So it's before you spend, you know, spend money on a lawyer and you, know, maybe a necessary. So at the very outset is thinking about what do you both want out of this business? So What's the horizon? What part of the real estate industry are we going to be in? Are we going to be developers? Are we developing property? Are we going to syndicate? Are we going to do any ancillary industries like construction? Kind of really get a handle on what our real estate business is and what, where our strengths and weaknesses are. When once you have that in, in play, it's, it's a little bit easier to think about okay, now longer term, do we see this growing for 10, 20 years, five years? And at that point in time, what's our exit strategy? We're going to sell the business partner A, you want to retire, I'm partner B, I want to stay. So now that we have kind of the the general high level idea of what our business is going to be, now we can kind of sit down and say, okay, let's deal with some of these other smaller points like capital calls. Let's think about what happens if someone were to get divorced or someone were to die or decide they they want to exit prematurely. How are we going to handle that? And once you really have the business points and you've discussed those and you're on the same page, have a meeting of the mind, so to speak, now we can put it down on paper or bring it to our attorney who can actually take that and churn it into this partnership agreement or operating agreement and really document what the two of you have discussed and agreed to. I
0: love that. I love that. Now you're based in Southern California and often the mention of California to real estate investors is enough to make them run for the hills or jump in the Pacific. What have you seen as part of the changing landscape of regulations that has people so scared these days?
1: As you said, California has been a difficult market. We have I mean, some of the lowest cap rates on properties in the country, especially multifamily. And it's as of January 1st of this year, it is getting more difficult. California is one of a few states now that has essentially passed uh, statewide rent control, which in, in our states are you know, not only are rental increases fixed, but we have essentially no fault evictions, which means we can't get rid of tenants unless they have breached their lease or done something wrong. So even if I have clients or investors see this great multifamily deal and that you know the units were dramatically under market, and I can come in there and I. I know I can raise these rents, a little bit of work here and there. Well, take a step back, guys. We can't do that anymore because now there's no-fault evictions. Those tenants are are there to stay. Luckily, there are some exceptions to the the new law, and we're still kind of seeing where where those will lead. But it's a big kind of a new Wild West out here with the rent control and seeing what that's going to do to the, the asset class of multifamily within the state of California. I definitely see the spreading to other states. We're one of the earlier ones, but I don't think we're the last to do it.
0: And not only that, I understand there's new regulations coming specifically around contractors and contractors potentially being deemed to be employees. Uh, I know a lot of multifamily projects hire contractors to do a variety of different things. Uh, we could wake up one day and all of a sudden they're full-time employees on our books. Uh, what's the impact of that?
1: You're right. I oh, talking about uh, Assembly Bill 5. And what that has done is... It has made it. And there are many exceptions. So we'll throw that out there first. There's real estate brokers, m- among other industries, that are exempt from the new law because of the great lobbying efforts. But in general, generally speaking, it is going to be very difficult to have an independent contractor in California because of the way they've changed the new law and the exceptions that there are. So that, that has a big impact on the real estate industry, construction, whether you're having. Laborers come, and you were, you were treating them as, as independent contractors. If you were a business and you had a consultant that you know, maybe wasn't employed, but you were able to treat him as an independent contractor and keep things simple, those days are gone. If you're not falling under one of these exceptions to the new law,
0: well, I've I've experience of hiring people in France, which is one of the most difficult labor markets in the world. And it's very, I'll say pro-labor, where it's genuinely well-intentioned. But one of the consequences of creating an environment where it's very difficult to fire people is it also makes it extremely difficult to hire people because employers are very reluctant to take on the liability of hiring someone. So there are very, very few jobs available, even if there's a legitimate business need. And that often is the negative consequence, the unintended consequence of a lot of these regulations that are supposedly designed to help,
1: you're right, and we are seeing that. Both of these are, are new laws, but with a lot of with the, with the passage of the rent control law, which was AB I think fourteen eighty two, there were adamant parties on both sides whether this was good or bad. One of the immediate effects we've already felt before the passage was was in the last few months of 2019. You had a mad rush of landlords. Going and evicting tenants before the law came into place because they didn't didn't want to be stuck with this tenant. And that really had the adverse effect of what the, the proponents of the new rent control law wanted. They wanted to preserve this affordable housing, and instead, it led to a lack of affordable housing. And they had tenants that were maybe a landlord would have waited a year or two to increase rent now they're evicting the tenant before the passage of the law, or now they're putting in yearly increases where they, they may have postponed that because they don't want to be for forbidden from increasing the rent uh, in the future. So they're going to take every little increase as they can get it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jeff, if folks want to get in touch, if they want to learn a bit more, what's the best way?
1: I'd be happy to. Uh, they can reach me at jlove at gibbsgidden.com or check out our website www.gibbsgidden.com, which has my email and uh, telephone number as well.
0: And that's Gibbs Gidden spelled, how is it spelled?
1: G-I-B-B-S, B is in boy, G-I-D-E-N, D is in David, www.gibbsgidden.com.
0: Well, for the listeners at home, definitely take Jeff's advice to heart if you're putting together a partnership or if you're potentially looking at reevaluating a partnership. Definitely look at all of these elements, whether it's the divorce provisions, whether it's the equity provisions, look at all of these different elements. Definitely reach out to Jeff at jlove at gibbsgidden.com. And in the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. I'll talk to you again tomorrow.